Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion, that USDA program. It's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. On Wednesday night, eight Republican presidential candidates gathered in Milwaukee for the first GOP primary debate. There was a lot on the line for each of them. But there was also an enormous amount at stake for the news organization that hosted the debate, Fox News. Consider the cross-currents that the two Fox moderators, Martha McCallum and Brett Baer, had to deal with. First, there was Trump, who refused to participate and lashed out at Fox and its talent, including Baer, on social media. Then there was Tucker Carlson, McCallum and Baer's former star colleague, who is in messy litigation with the network, and who nabbed Trump for himself and counter-programmed the evening with an interview that aired simultaneously with the Fox debate. Then there was Rupert Murdoch hovering in the background. In the days before the debate, there were new reports that the man who runs Fox, McCallum and Bear's boss, has his own strong feelings about who the GOP nominee should be. If that isn't enough, on the eve of the debate, several candidates who didn't qualify to be on stage threatened to sue. Add to that the challenges of being the ones asking the uncomfortable questions in that arena on Wednesday. The candidates are primed to pounce on you if it serves their political interests. The boisterous crowd of partisans could turn on you at any moment. So what was it like behind the scenes at the Fox News debate? How did the hosts prepare, including for a possible last-minute appearance by Trump? What did they think of the highly caffeinated Mike Pence interrupting them at every turn? What was the deal with DeSantis and Christie during that one hand-raising moment? And whose idea was that UFO question anyway? We're going to ask Martha and Brett those questions and a lot more as they bring us inside what is perhaps the most important event of the GOP primary so far. I'm Ryan Lizza, and this is Playbook Deep Dive. Like from your perspective, sitting there, it's obviously so much different than anyone watching it at home. What, like, when you look back at that intensive two hours, what are the the biggest moments that that stand out? That, like, when you were sitting there, you were like, "Oh boy, this is a moment." The one big one for each of you, just to sort of start off. Yeah, go ahead, Martha. Sure, I'll start. I I think one of the things that really strikes you when you're sitting there is that you feel the emotion and the intensity on the part of all of the candidates. And we certainly saw that when they actually started opening their mouths and talking. But when you sit down there and they come out, there's just a tremendous amount of energy in the room and so much on the line for these folks. They've been drilling and practicing and thinking about what they're going to be asked all, you know, for, for weeks with their folks. So you just have such a palpable sense of that when you're sitting 15 feet away from them, for one thing. And then the other thing that I really looked back on today is the moment that we asked them to raise their hand if they would still support the former president if indeed he were indicted. Yeah, that was a great moment. Charges. And when you look back at it, and I actually just rewatched it a moment ago, 
it's interesting because the right hand side of the room, their hands went up pretty quickly and Ron DeSantis sort of glanced over at them yes. and then raised his hand. So there were moments of hesitation from him on those. And we know he wasn't happy about a hand raised question at all. He said that right off the bat. He said, we're not children in the classroom. So his yeah, that seemed like a prepared line, that, didn't it? But, it did. Um, but it also there there were interesting hesitancy moments from him on a couple of those. On, what did you make of the Christie hand? This is for either of you or both. The, 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 there was, <laughs> I was very confused by the Christie's half hand thing. And I think one of you said, oh, you're raising your hand. And then he said, no, I'm not. I'm doing this. Exactly. So, yeah, it was kind of a half raise. And I agree <laughs> with Martha. It was sort of like the wave in a stadium, you know, when people stand up, you know, like the, the hand yes. raising started on the right side and then it kind of made its way and then started stopped abruptly with uh, Christie and then Asa Hutchinson. I think uh, that was my moment too. I thought that um, DeSantis was the most, I wish we had time to kind of delve into that a little bit more, but he clearly didn't want to talk about the former president. Uh, And to that point started turning it and, you know, ripping on us for talking about the former president, at which point I said, he's leading you by 30 or 40 points. He's a part of this GOP primary. And um, and we moved well, on. Yeah. Well, on on our daily podcast today at Politico, we did the same thing of like, what was the what's the big moment that you remember? And that is the one that I mentioned, Brett, is you. I mean, I don't know if you'll agree with this, but you kind of smacking DeSantis. I really some people on Twitter were saying you humiliated him. I, you know, I don't know if it was that bad, but just to unpack that moment a little bit more more for us. What what was going on? Well, first of all, that came a little bit later in the back and forth. And and one of the big things about this debate, and Martha can weigh in, you know, Vice President Pence was super aggressive. I don't know, you know, whether he had a lot of coffee or what his deal was, but he showed up ready to interrupt. Yes, right in that first volley, right, where he he wasn't, you didn't, neither of you had called on him and he was interrupting. And he was just jumping in. So. At that point, both of us had said, listen, these are the rules, you know, stop talking, you know, the bell's ringing, he's way past the bell. So by the time we had gotten to the back and forth where Governor DeSantis was, you know, saying moderators shouldn't be asking these questions, you know, it was like, listen, this is a factor, we're going to move on, but this is a big part of this race. And I think, you know, I'd kind of had that moment and wasn't thinking I was smacking him. I was just telling him, this is a legitimate line of questioning. This is a big part and of, course it of was. this election. And, and of course it was. Did, did Martha, this is for you. Did you, um, it's obviously very tricky doing uh, a debate where you know the audience might be on the candidate's side, might be on your side. You don't know how, and it's a big audience at a big, a big arena there. Um, did you know, did you, when you started out, when you had all the questions prepared, did you know going into that territory was going to be the one that was going to cause a little bit of a, of a backlash from, from the crowd? I think so. I mean, it's a clear, we went back and forth. We wanted to keep the questions that were focused on Trump and his situation limited and very pointed. And yeah. we wanted to make sure that they drew a clear line about where they stand on it. They had signed the pledge to support the future candidate, but would that still hold true if if he was indicted? And I, and I think, you know, it it was 
one of the moments, and I think there were many of the several of them, I would say, where you saw this divide between the candidates on the stage. I think there were moments on abortion that were pretty heated on that as well. And the interesting thing about the crowd, you talked about feeling whether they were who they were for and against. Um, it it was so all over the map. I mean, yeah. one minute they would be booing Chris Christie. The next minute they were cheering. Yes. On. Yeah. Same thing for Pence. There was, you know, a person who I kept hearing yelling Asa you know, <laughs> in the back. So, I mean, it really did feel like a sort of a great democracy moment because I think there were people in there who were Trump supporters who found themselves cheering on the VEC at times. And I, I, I thought it was fascinating. And I really, um, I thought that it was good that there was a lot of feedback from the crowd. There were times when it got a little, you know, off the rails. When when Mike Pence wouldn't stop talking, I I thought it was in some ways out of character for him. He's a little bit more of a of a you know more of a rule follower type of person. Yes, yes, that's I what say. I think surprised everyone, right? So, so I was thinking about it today, and I thought to myself, you know, the former president who he served with opted not to come, right? So he's, I think may have been thinking, I'm the former vice president. I have a different status on this stage and I am going to take my time and I'm going to show my gravitas and I'm going to make sure that people are people hear what I have to say here tonight because I did show up. And it's possible, I can't get inside his head, that that there was some of that, I don't know, maybe they talked about it in their prep meetings, but you could definitely feel him asserting himself that he was sort of, I'm in a different level here than the rest of you on the stage. Especially compared to Vivek. Yep. I think that the crowd was mixed. You know, it, it's about uh, 100 tickets per candidate, I think rough. And then there were all kinds of RNC people from around the country that were donors to the RNC and, and bigwigs. So it was a mixed crowd. Um, and that, I think, is, you know, one of the reasons there were some, you know, different reactions. But when they were booing and Chris Christie couldn't talk, that's the time that we both turned around to the audience. And I, at that point, I did feel like the dad driving the station wagon. You know, <laughs> you guys keep yelling. I'm going to turn this car around. And we're turning we're this going car back. That's funny. In my little team group chat, someone said, it's that exact, I said, Brett playing dad role here. <laughs> and, you know, the point was, listen, you guys want to hear answers. You want to hear policy. We are going to get there. You know, we waited an hour to deal with the former president, but we wanted to really have a whole block, a bucket, we called it, uh, dealing with those issues. We didn't want to make it the whole debate, but clearly we wanted to hammer home that uh, get the differences of how those candidates viewed the situation. Well, I think you both did a real service getting them all on the record on Pence and January 6th. And I thought it was very interesting in, in those two moments where Pence wanted to talk more about January 6th, I think the first one was, was he wanted to make sure that everyone on that stage answered the question about his role on January 6th. And maybe there were some clever politics on his part there. So, so you know, it's, it's now known that all of his opponents have the same view he does on what he did that day. Donald Trump is the sort of outlier now. Um, but then I thought was more dramatic is at the end, when you were about to move on, he came back and he really wanted to deliver that monologue about the Constitution over Trump. Um, well, let's just and, say he wanted to talk more, period. <laughs> but, so how do you, So this is the question on that is, when, how do you balance the enforcing the rules versus 
all right, this is a big moment. This is going to make some news. This is important to hear. How, how do you balance, you know, the sort of letting some of the chaos play out and, you know, bringing everything back to uh, uh, the dad mode and, and mom mode, Martha? <laughs> it's difficult. I think that's the job of a moderator. And uh, it was it was more difficult at times than we might have thought it would be, I guess. But... Um, you could see some frustration when people, you know, it, it's the sort of classic frustration that exists between people who like to follow the rules and people who aren't following the rules. I think yeah. Nikki Haley got upset about it at one point that, yep. um, that, that people were, were breaking the rules, but we do, obviously we, we wanted to allow moments to happen on stage between the candidates. And I think that, um, they really did. And I thought that Vivek Ramaswamy was just, he was, basically on fire from the minute he walked out there and telling everybody, you know, you're all bought and paid for and all of that. So, and every time someone would get into a back and forth with him, they would keep saying his name. And so he was, you know, Oh, I get another 30 seconds. I get another half minute. They just said my name again. Right. So a a good, a smart debater knows that rule and applies it. Yeah, maybe the, maybe next round there should be a limit to how many times you can go back around um, if someone says your name again. But I also thought he, he was very interesting. And a lot of the feedback was just, you know, he got a lot of attention. There are people who think he won the debate. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I also heard some people in a one of the voter um, viewer ch- chats this morning on America's Newsroom, a couple of them said, you know, I, I really liked him, but I got to admit, I kind of was a little turned off by that. So we'll see what the impact of that is on him. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one where just I cannot wait to see both the ratings and the post-debate polls because I have no feel for, you know, how this is gonna how this is how this is gonna play out, and I think that'll tell us a lot about whether Trump made the right the right move here in in uh, in, in skipping it. Roughly about thirteen million um, in you know the both uh, channels. I think it's like eleven, twelve on on FNC and. Um, something like two or three on FBN. All right. So it's not the, it's, it's not at the max of say a 2016 Trump debate, but it's much, much bigger than a typical Fox primetime, uh, news night. Yeah. It's bigger than like the first debate on CNN. It's bigger than a lot of things. I think we thought if we were right around the 12 number, that was a, that was a pretty good thing. Not, you know, we're, the ratings are tough to judge in the summer here. It is the first debate, but the 45th president was not a part of it. So we really didn't know what to expect. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's interesting to see um, viewership. I think that we were looking at it from how the, the debate played out. And we wanted, Martha and I and the team really wanted to make sure that we had those moments that we let them breathe. We had a lot of questions that we thought were good questions that we didn't get to because we were kind of throwing them out on the fly and we were adjusting based on time. If you look at the equity of the candidates, it's only about a three-minute spread from the top to the bottom. And the reason Vice President Pence has so much time is because he took so much time. And I didn't really want to have those moments where I said, you know, this is not helpful, Vice President Pence, or here is the bell, you know, remember what yeah. this sounds like. But he was <laughs> he was really yeah. running over and really kind of just saying there are no rules. By the way, they have a light that goes from green to yellow to red. Red means stop talking. And then after that, right. they got the bell. That's behind the podium. We can't see that in the shot. 
Maybe you should I, see it. Yeah, yeah. no, that's they yeah, to sort be of on the front. <laughs> right. It would kind of embarrass them a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, for both of you, you said, what was the, the what was the one question that you wish you had gotten? You can't get to everything that you prepare for. What was one that you you wish you uh, um, you had asked? Well, you know, there were a lot of them. Um, we had a, a lot more questions on education, school choice, some of those issues. And in some cases, we let them go because uh, one of the candidates had brought them up and they had sort of battled it out over it on them uh, on their own. Right. Um, I think we could have gone with a few more follow- foreign policy questions for Vivek Ramaswamy based on the things that he's been saying lately about 9-11. Yeah. yeah. Um, for one thing. But Nikki Haley really went at him and gave this litany of the things that sh- that he had been talking about. So in some cases, you know, you're you're letting something go because the subject has already been grappled with. Um, I I wish that there had been a moment to say to Ron DeSantis, you know, why the half-hearted hand raise there. Um, but what happened was. Christy was like throwing his finger halfway up the other way and <laughs> went, you know, and that got the attention. Um, and, and Brett was asking him about that. And then we were sort of like moving you know, on that moment passed, you know, sometimes the moment yeah. passes, but you, you pick up on something, the way somebody's looking at someone or the fact that they're saying something or doing something that feels forced or half-hearted. Um, it's good. I think to be able that to that was up. the moment that I, we wish that I wish that we went back and said, okay, governor, Christy, but yeah, Governor DeSantis, that? what was the halfway? I would have loved to have yes. pointed that out. Yeah, they'll get asked about it, though. Vivek Ramaswamy said President Trump is the best president of the 21st century. And I wanted yeah, to I say, know. well, then why are you running <laughs> against him? He's running. Mm-hmm. You Don't you want to bank it the best again? Um, but he's not. So I, I, I thought that that was a missed opportunity. I had a yeah. question about Obamacare and, you know, uh, Republicans unable to find a solution for health care um, that I kind of wanted to get to. But again, there were all these questions. We had AI regulations. We had more foreign policy, um, you know, China, other questions, Iran. And you suddenly realize that the clock ticks very fast. And sitting at that desk you know, you're basically moving puzzle pieces around as producers are in your ear saying, here's what the time looks like. Let's move to this. Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Well, you guys packed a lot in, and I thought there were really rich debates on abortion, Ukraine, January 6th, and, you know, just in a way, I think some of those debates were better, frankly, um, without out the without the front runner. although it sort of makes sense for the front runner to be there, but you guys packed a lot in in two hours. Tell us a little bit about how you prepare. Um, I was involved with Politico's Democratic debate back in 2020 and 
saw the process of preparing for one of these debates up close, though I, I, I was not the uh, a moderator. But what's uh, how did you guys do it? Did you build a set? Did you have interns play the different candidates on stage? Mm. Take us a little bit behind the scenes of uh, of debate. We don't spend that much money, Ryan. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> oh, no, come no. on. We did not have people playing uh, candidates, but what we do is we both came up with a lot of questions. We start putting them into a, a central document. We sift through them. We see where we overlap. We look at you know how to sharpen the question. Then we had great um, researcher working with us, so we would say, you know, instead of having someone standing behind a podium, we're saying, you know, what would Doug Burgum say about that? You know, has he? What has he done with? solar or on climate change in North Dakota and um, go, the research goes into it. So we sort of think about what is he likely to say? What is she likely to say when we ask them this? And then we have notes and backup about their record and whether they have strayed from, you know, whether that's a new evolving position for them and, you know, notes that we have underneath the questions to help us ground it if we need to go back at them and say, yes, but, you know, 10 years ago you said this. So what changed? Um, that, that's pretty much the process. Right, yeah, and I think, yeah, it's basically a murder board that you're kind of planning out what they may say. We're also building, you know, who's contrasting each other on stage the most on some of these big topics so that maybe you would turn to the other person and set up that dynamic. Um, we really had a great team and we would just kind of sit in a room for three or four hours uh, twice or three times a week, uh, sometimes by Zoom. And then once we got to Milwaukee, we did it in person. And we would kind of go through and polish these things <laughs> and and really try to tighten them so that the candidates couldn't automatically get to their off-ramp to talking points. Yeah, you, you were. I, I noticed um, you were well prepared. I thought the way you responded in the top of the show to Christy bragging about his tenure in New Jersey, with the with the facts about the uh, the debt situation and the and the credit rating downgrades, he was prepared to respond for that. But that was, um, you know, the, the credit to you guys that you were very quick with those kinds of follow ups. Um, a lot of people are asking about the song uh, Oliver Anthony's "Rich Men North of Richmond." Tell us about the decision to kick things off uh, w w with that. We were talking about what people are feeling in the country. And trying to find a way to demonstrate that feeling, right? We, we talk to voters all the time, people talking about inflation, people talking about the feeling that they can't get ahead, saying that their kids have trouble buying their first home. We saw a statistic that had just come out that said that the average age of a first home buyer is 36 years old. Um, so, you know, we were talking about that song and thinking about the chord that it was striking in the country and then, you know, batting it around. Oh, guess what? Now it's the number one song in America, um, which I think is, is something worth noting. I think also the fact that it's, it's sort of a song that's in the, in the genre of protest songs from either the thirties yeah. or the, or the sixties, you know, where someone's singing from his heart about the way he feels about things. It's and, a folk song basically. Um, Exactly. So I, I just, you know, we all talked about it and thought it would be a really good way to kind of ground the evening as we're just getting started to play it for them and have the camera pan across their faces and see what their reaction was to the song. And then to start the night by asking them, 
why is this striking such a chord in the country right now? And I think it was, yeah, no, I, I just, I, I think it was a nice place to start. I, I think in some ways that, that I would have liked the candidates to have a little more um, personal response to it. You yeah, know, I feel like yeah. there was, it was pretty can, you know, the end, the first answer felt like something that had been thought about and well-planned out. But, um, I think I, I'm glad we started it that way. I really am. I thought it was, I thought it was a nice place to begin. I mean, it's amazing that it's number one. It's, I'm looking at the hundred right now. I mean, it's ahead of an Olivia Rodrigo song and, uh, um, has pushed Taylor Swift down to number four on the Billboard yes. 100. So, and a Miley Cyrus song. I mean, it's not like it's a it's a weak chart that this guy's uh, up against right now. You know, and we had um, heard the stories ahead, about Oliver Anthony, the the singer, and how he had turned down millions of dollars uh, to do these different gigs or record deals. And um, so we said, I wonder if they'll or he'll let us use the song. Oh, you did have to, you did have to get permission, huh? We did. And um, so we went through the process. We tracked him down, and uh, we were kind of operating like, well, we could, I guess we could read the lyrics. Uh, it just won't be the same. And we didn't find out until two days before the debate that we got approval. So we were in the end of a meeting of going through questions and saying, okay, so we're going to do this and this and this. And one of the producers said, Oh, we got the song. I forgot to tell you. We buried the lead. <laughs> wow. And so we got approval to use it. And that's why, um, we, you know, you see him singing. It's that YouTube clip. Yep. Uh, and I think it, it was powerful. Well, I think he just uh, helps him stay on the Billboard uh, 100 for a little longer. <laughs> um, the UFO question. I got to ask about the UFO question, which I'm, like a lot of people, I'm obsessed with this topic. I'm glad you asked it, although I didn't get any satisfactory answers from those from any of the candidates. I don't know how you guys yeah. felt. But um, who, I think Christy was giving you guys shit for, for asking that question. Yeah. Um, what does I, you know, what, did you think of it as a light question or did you think of it as like, no, this is an important issue. These guys, you know, I want to get them on the record on this. Are one of you is one of you a UFO buff? Like, what, what, I think we both are there? interested in it. I was a proponent of this question <laughs> <laughs> after that Capitol Hill hearing. Yeah, honestly, are we being yes. like told little pieces of this story, and then one day it's just going to come out? You know, it just seems like we're getting <laughs> neutralized or somehow. Um, uh, normalized to these UFO, you know, pilot experiences when John Kirby comes out in the White House and says these things are interrupting military training and nobody, it's not like the lead story. Um, I, I actually think it's fascinating and I do think people want to know what the heck the deal is. Now, was it, we're going to lead the A block with it? No. I would have kicked things off right after the song. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. If we could get to it, we would. I was planning to ask it, but we had changed so many puzzle pieces that it fell to Martha to ask. And so she got the New Jersey uh, pushback from Christy. Yeah, what? Go ahead, talking Martha. about Martians. We're not that different than regular people just because we're from New Jersey. Um, <laughs> yeah, I didn't but, think that was one of his better lines. I didn't think that quite I, landed. I, but, I uh, thought yeah. it was funny, too. And I thought, he, um, <laughs> I, I thought he brought it around in an interesting way about, you know, being honest on anything, on everything that um, comes across a president's desk. So, yeah. uh, 
you know, I also treated it as a little bit as a light moment. I thought it would be nice to have, um, not that it's really not that funny if, if there are alien crashed spaceships somewhere that's being hidden from us. <laughs> However, yeah. um, you know, I just thought it'd be a good way to end, you know, on a, we were doing the lightning round and I thought that worked well. Uh, and I, I was kind of, you know, I knew Brett really wanted to ask it, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it fell to me. So I had a little fun with it. Do you guys have a process if you're fighting about a question that one of you thinks, no, this is a dumb question. We're not asking this. Do you have like a, a veto power thing? Do you have to have consensus? What's the, uh, we didn't have any like things that we had to hold on to. I think we had, we both had some questions that we thought were really strong. And so we both knew that, you know, those questions kind of fit into something you really wanted to save. But we weren't fighting over questions. We weren't saying that's stupid. I mean, it really was a consensus operation. Yeah, well, you aren't it, on. It before you came on, Brett, before you came on and Martha was on alone, that's not what she said. <laughs> 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 no, we, we, I think we were both very grown up about it. You know, it's like if you love, you, you can't, nothing can be so precious that you can't let it go. And we both had to let go of things that we really wanted to have in there just based on the amount of time that we had. And, um, no, I think we were, we, we worked together really well in terms of wanting that the product to be the best that it could be overall. So there's always going to be stuff that you really want to ask that you don't get to ask. So there'll be other times, I hope. The default was always to the candidates, you know, taking each other on. I mean, if, if time yeah. needs to be yeah. used, that's a debate. And if we could steer it, sometimes we got off the road, but you know, if we could steer it, that that's really impressive. I frankly liked the moments where people were breaking the rules and debating. And I know it's probably a little more frustrating for you guys sitting there, but I think some of the best interactions, uh, happened that way because it wasn't you know it wasn't personal it wasn't necessarily just personal jabs at each other it was it was good policy back and back and forth yeah um, i thought the abortion back and forth was very really good that was now, really interesting you really got a sense of the spectrum of opinion on that absolutely um and haley you know it was really really brought nikki haley out forcefully about the the, the, the politics of it um i thought you know i wrote this in playbook today i did did think without trump there you got more of a sense of the spectrum of opinion in the Republican Party that sometimes gets smothered when it's all about Trump, 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 and what he's saying and, and what, you know, he, he, he's pushing. Um, you know, with even with some of the minor can, can, uh, candidates, you just, to me, it was, a, it was a little bit like what the post-Trump Republican Party debate uh, is might might look like you know you're still still heavily influenced by the kind of populist and isolationist energies that he's brought to the party but you've got pence arguing for you know the, the traditional reaganite foreign policy you've got this big broad debate about abortion uh, uh policy and um i know it's kind of I, i'm sure you guys wish trump were, were, were there but um changed it in an, in an interesting way. Um, so that leads me to, to a little bit of our, our t t discussion about Trump. What were you preparing for? Uh, were you preparing for a last-minute possibility? Did you get a heads-up well in advance and you knew he wasn't going to be there so you didn't have to worry about? How are you preparing for the eventuality of our mercurial former president showing up? 
I think we went back and forth uh, over the course of time over whether or not it looked more likely that he would come and then more likely that he wouldn't come. And I think by the, the time we got to the last couple of days, I think he had made it quite clear that he was definitely not coming. And yeah. in a way that allowed us to just shift our focus. And, and, in, and in a way, you know, although it would be important for him to be there and we obviously welcomed that and wanted that because the voters should be able to hear from him. It did give the rest of these candidates just an, a really golden opportunity to step up and um, and let people know who they are and where they come from. It would have been very different with him on stage. I mean, if, if we think that Mike Pence, you know, sort of uh, took up a lot of the oxygen, I, you can only imagine what it would have been like with the former president. And every it would have been a completely different dynamic. Hopefully at some point um, he'll, he'll participate in a debate. But now it's looking, you know, you've got... President Biden's team signaling that he may not do debates. So I really hope this isn't a process that falls apart um, based on some of the players deciding that they don't want to participate. I think that would be a shame. When he said, I'm not going to do the debates, uh, you know, people took it to yeah. be all the debates. Uh, and I, I do believe that at some point he'll have to get on that stage, I think, because Republicans in places like New Hampshire and Iowa and Wisconsin uh, really want to see his interaction. And I was looking forward to the interaction between, you know, Governor DeSantis and President Trump and his vice president. I mean, there's all kinds of different dynamics that set up yeah. differently. I will say yeah. that mm -hmm. when we found out that he was not coming, we did shift but we also kept the pile of with Trump questions because you never knew that maybe that last day he just shows up in Milwaukee and says, I want to get on that stage. How would it have been different? What was the shift? How did that change it? I was just like mapping it out, the blueprint of where the questions were. As far as the buckets and the substance, it wouldn't change. Um, we may have to obviously had dealt with his legal situation earlier than the second hour. Um, we, I don't even think we mentioned the former president for an hour, did we? I don't believe so. I was keeping track of that myself. I, I believe few, few of the, not mm -hmm. even, I think there was like one early mention by one of the candidates, but I don't think you guys, I don't think you guys did until you got to that section. Mm -hmm. uh, from I think it would have been interesting, actually. I think some of the questions would not have changed. Yeah. And or most of them really would not have changed. And I think even the, you know, would you still support the candidate if if the president here in the middle of the stage is indicted would have been interesting to watch him. Obviously, he would have raised his own hand for that. But do you think Mike Pence did the right thing? I think that would have been a pretty interesting moment as well if he were in the middle of the stage. So um, I think a lot of the questions would have would have been very similar. Yeah, this is more of a, you're putting, asking you to put your pundit hats on, but do you think, what do you think could change the dynamic to get him on stage in, in Simi Valley for the, the Fox business debate? Mm, I don't think he's going to do it. I mean, I, you don't. I, I don't think anything's going to change his mind. That He's already like previously spoken out about uh, the Reagan library or foundation folks, and uh, he said he's not doing it. I don't think it's anything's going to change between now and then. I do think that if polls start to change in some place like Iowa and New Hampshire, that a later debate um, in the fall or winter might be more likely. Martha, what do you think? 
I agree. I, you know, I, I think if he starts to feel left out or he starts to feel like um, it would benefit him to get up on that stage and, you know, kind of do what he did in 2015 and kind of blow some people away, which he did quite handily in those debates. But I also would just be mindful of the fact that, you know, 2015, when that happened, that was nine years ago, you know? So, I mean, he's, a lot of things are different now. And um, I I don't, I I just sort of question, we've seen him debate since then in the presidential race, of course. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'd be interesting to see how well he, how strong his debate would be at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, I think if he wants to prove that he is the debater that he was, then I think he will come out at some point. And, um, but I, I mean, can you, Matt, I, I don't know if we're going to see a Trump Biden debate again. Uh, yeah. Brett and I had a front row seat for the last one yeah. and it was, um, it was an interesting night to say the least. So um, I, I hope he does. I think that it's the duty to, of the candidate, no matter who he is, even if he's a former president at some point, to show up and tell people where he's where he's going to take the country. Given where Pence is now and the way he's leaning into his role on January 6th, I think all of us want to see Trump and Pence side by side, side on stage together, you know, debating what went down that day. Um, although I suppose that might happen in a trial in a number of states as well. Um, this debate, to me, you guys had a truly pressure cooker situation of, all right, the, the, the front runner's going, he's not going, he's, he's playing all kinds of games, he's jerking you guys around, he's attacking Fox occasionally on social media. Um, all of a sudden, he announces late in the game he's going to do this interview with Tucker Carlson, who, oh, by the way, is your former colleague, <laughs> right? And he's, he's setting up this, you know, in a very Trump-like way, setting up this drama, in, in, in my view. I, I, I don't know if you share this, but I presume he's trying to hurt Fox in some way, somewhat trying to damage the, the ratings. Um, so you've got Trump, you've got this Tucker thing going on, um, you've got all of the these these cross pressures um and is this a job that you guys you guys wanted or was this like oh shit i got <laughs> i got picked to do this no no this no this is good this we, is going to suck no we i think we always wanted the ball you know whenever you i think we were talking right beforehand that um, you know you get the butterflies in a big moment like that most times we've done shows and tons of things, you don't get the butterflies anymore. So the chance to get the butterflies back for a big moment, I think we always take that chance and, you know, put me in. And um, so I, I think both of us, and I think I'm speaking for Martha, obviously wanted the chance uh, to do it, whether he was on the stage or he wasn't. As for the Tucker interview, I mean, I, I just didn't think it was – that cool, um, mm-hmm. but in, in terms in, of like the, the the event itself, or yeah, like no, watching I mean, it for the actual either, interview, either Tucker or the former president, he has every right to do it. It just felt you know pointed, and it was oh, a taped oh, no interview. Doubt, no doubt, and it was a taped interview that was going to run five minutes before the debate started. From what I heard, and I haven't seen all of it, that it wasn't really newsmaking. Um, and I'm not sure how the whole impressions on Twitter works versus actually seeing it. But I um, I just didn't think it was a great thing, but it wasn't a focus for us. At that point, we were really focusing on the substance and, and trying to get to the heart of the matter of the debate. Yeah, yeah I ahead, absolutely wanted to do the debate. 
I love the feeling of being excited and slightly nervous and working really hard towards a big night. So there's, I mean, that's why we do what we do. There's nothing like it. And uh, I was really glad to have the opportunity to do it again and to do it alongside Brett, which is always great. So that um, 100%, it was a job that I was excited to do. And, you know, as far as the Trump and Tucker interview, it just struck me that it was going to be, you know, kind of same old, same old. I, I don't know what new would really come out of that. I'm not sure that it's a place where the, the former president who has a huge lead already. And I understand, you know, I, that that's um, he's in a great position uh, in this race at this point. I think he has the biggest lead that any incumbent or former incumbent, which is an unusual situation of itself, has ever had at this point in a race. But that being said, you're not going to probably reach out to any on the fence or new voters in that environment. So that's mm-hmm. where I think the people who were on the stage had an advantage because they there's 60 something percent persuadable voters in the Republican registered voter or likely voter column. So those people were watching and they're going to make up their minds and that may eventually move the needle. I don't think we're going to be where we are now in terms of the spread between Trump and whoever turns out to be his main contenders, maybe two people, maybe three people. Um, but these numbers will shift over time. We always we see that they always do. So tell us a little bit about the post-debate reaction. I'm especially curious about what the feedback you're getting from the campaigns is um, obviously there's a there's in general there's a big post debate spin spin game that goes on, um, but for for the two of you, um, is it more uh, people mad at you, people uh, sucking up to you, saying saying great great job? What's the uh, you know whenever you you know as, as a journalist whenever you uh, do a story, uh, do an interview, um, you know you're often you get feedback from the subject of that of that interview or, or story. How have the campaigns responded to you guys personally? Well, I think generally the feedback has been really good. Um, who's, who's mad at you? <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I think uh, I think Chris Christie said something about us. And then I saw him on with Neil. He, he was kinder. So um, I, I think you know, he was complaining about it getting out of like chaos yes. or something. Chaos. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, he could so, have turned to Vice President Pence and maybe tapped him on the shoulder and said, "Hey, chill out." <laughs> <laughs> Any what, anything to add to that, Brett, in terms of the feedback? A couple of campaigns appreciated that we tried to spread. Um, the time. And I mentioned the disparity between the top and the bottom is not that great. Um, and um, I think that obviously social media gets fired up. Um, they said, you know, why don't you cut off the microphones, you know, mm-hmm. when their time's done? Or why don't you have a light so that they can see when their time's done? And I felt like tweeting back, <laughs> There is we one. Do. Yeah, there we is. do. Uh, they just didn't look at it. But um, I, there's always things that you can look back and say you could have done better. But in the heat of that moment and as it was going, I think for the large part, we kept it in, in the guardrails and um, got to the policy stuff that, that we really wanted to get to. And that is 
really having candidates interchange, uh, even candidates on the edges that, um, mm -hmm. you know, didn't seem like they wanted to, but they got in the mix. And uh, so I look at it in a positive way. I think that there are things that we would both do differently, you know, uh, and probably talk to them ahead of time to say, hey, listen, let's try to keep in the rules. Yeah. Yeah, Martha, I, anything I to add to that? agree. I think overall, uh, everybody felt good about the fact that they got to talk about real issues. And uh, I thought we spent the right amount of time on the trials that are facing the former president. I felt good about that. And I think overall, I, the feedback that I got was, you know, it was great to see people up there talking about the issues that they care about. Yeah. I, that I, the country I, cares about. I agree with that. One thing I have to ask before I let you guys go, just to make sure this wasn't a stunt, was Burgum like really limping around? Was that injury real or was this a publicity <laughs> stunt? No, I think it was real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he definitely went to the hospital and we definitely were thinking that he was going to sit for the debate. We had three different types oh, of wow. stools that he could choose from and uh he had some line that was like this isn't dancing with the stars. I can sit in the commercial break. And um <laughs> right. And he did. He sat yeah. down. He I thought it was funny when he came out and he said um you know, people were cheering me on back home and they told me to break a leg, but I didn't think they meant literally. Very <laughs> <laughs> good. Well, so he was good nature. He was a good sport about it. it couldn't have been easy for him, but he wasn't, wasn't going to miss it. I don't blame him. Well, again, you guys did a great job. Um, it was a great debate. And I Thank really you, appreciate you guys coming on today and doing this. You must be exhausted. <laughs> and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks a lot. So man. did we. It's great, great talking to you, Ryan. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. And that's our show. Our producer is Kara Tabor. Our senior producer is Alex Keeney. I'm Ryan Lizza, host and executive producer of Deep Dive. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Please subscribe to Playbook Deep Dive wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be taking a break next week, but we'll be back on September 8th. Have a happy Labor Day, everyone. And thanks for listening.